It is not intuitive to me which side the microphone goes on on these headphones. I feel like one of those babies at concerts that they put the giant things on their ears and then it's like echoey, like on my end. Welcome to A Brown Girl and a White Girl, the podcast about surviving graduate school and thriving outside of it. I'm Diana, the resident brown girl. And I'm Mary, the resident white girl. On today's show, we have Dr. Alexis Spina. Alexis Spina is a UX researcher for Amazon Web Services, where she specializes in uncovering user behavior, needs, and motivations to make products and services more delightful for customers. Prior to working in tech, Alexis was a graduate student at UCSB, where she pursued her research interest in STEM education, specifically preparing pre-service math teachers. With 10 years of K-12 teaching experience, Alexis's true passion is in education, and she hopes to return to the field in some form one day. In the meantime, she's enjoying life in tech and how it supports her to spend quality time with her husband, pursue pottery, and spoil her two nieces. Welcome to our show, Alexis! Hello. Why isn't it? Hello. Hi. But your um, audio is good, so that's yeah. what matters. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's like um, technical issues across the board this morning for everybody. I was just oh. telling Mary, my Zoom was like not letting me access Zoom. It was like, you cannot access us until you do the updates, but we are not compatible with the updates. And so <laughs> yeah. I, I had to delete everything, re-download everything, and then still try to log in. And it still didn't want me to. And I don't know what I did, but I figured it out. So good. <laughs> 10 out of 10. Do you guys want me to leave and come back? Because that's always, you know, turn on, turn off. And that's how I solve everything. Um, uh, or are we fine with no video? I feel like it's it's fine on our end, whatever you're yeah. comfortable with. If you can see us. <laughs> I can see you matter. both. You look great. Yeah. <laughs> a bit of a softball to kind of get us started on this mm-hmm. Monday morning. Um, but tell us a little bit about what you study and how you got into it. I mean, in terms of like graduate school and how that maybe has led into what you do now. Sure. That is a great question to start with. Um, oh, how far back do, does one go? Um, so, <laughs> <laughs> like aging myself here. I've just, I was a teacher for 10 years um, in specifically high school math and science and loved it. Um, it was my goal to just kind of always, I didn't want any students to ever feel defeated by math. It's such a mindset that they have. Um, it's something that I experienced in college when my, I stepped into my first physics class and my professor said to me, I'm sorry, this is physics. The fashion building is next door. Um, so excuse me. Yeah. Yeah. That was a defining moment for me. That was in college. That was in college. I was a physics major in college, loved astronomy, like wanted to be an astronomer, always my dream. And then that was literally my first day in class going to a physics class. That's insane. And yeah, but in many ways it like, it's, it's what led me to education. Just like, I don't want anyone to ever feel that way if I can help it. Um, I love a vendetta. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Why not? <laughs> Why not? Um, specifically females, as I was like, I was one of, I don't know how many males majoring in physics that year, but um, it was kind of depressing. Um, just never seeing anyone like me. But um, anyway, so that brought me into teaching math and science, loved it, loved my students. Um, but 
I did always say to myself, whenever it becomes like really routine or kind of bored or, or I just don't feel like I'm challenging myself enough, I'm going to leave the profession because it's not good for the kids and it's not good for me. Um, and that happened around 2015. And um, I lived in Ojai, if you guys know where, where that is. Yeah. That's, yeah, that's where I was teaching. Um, and I just looked at my husband and was like, I want to go back to, to grad school and get my PhD. And I remember we were in the kitchen when I said it and he like put down whatever he was doing and hugged me. He was like, thank you. Um, I'm so glad you admitted that out loud to yourself. Let's do Aww. it. So, um, and I knew my focus would be somewhere in math and science. Um, you know, I wanted to really, I, I went in thinking I'd focus on like really figuring out ways we can support um, young females in STEM. But it's funny, once I, I really got into it at grad school, I was like, there actually are some really great supports already in place. So do I support those supports or do I look for other areas um, to support? And that led me to working on things with English language learners in STEM. Um, but really, I loved the TE uh, teacher education program and working with those who wanted to be math teachers. And that was really, really fun. And that's what I wound up doing my dissertation on pre-service teachers and how they kind of interpret and use the standards for mathematical practice, which are eight practices um, that are tied into the Common Core State Standards. And uh, yeah, that's that's that life. <laughs> <laughs> it is done. You graduated. Yeah. You are, you are on the other side of the fence. <laughs> I promise, guys, it's worth it. Just keep pushing <laughs> It's helpful to hear <laughs> as we head into another um, year. I know, I know. It's it's a lot. I mean, I'm interested. I mean, we just oh. ended this talking about having to like push through, right? You're, you're, you just yeah. need to push through. What were some of the things for you that you felt like you had to push through throughout that grad school experience? You know, for me, if I think back that one of the biggest milestones was the, um, do they call it the IRP still or second year? Yeah, that. Oh, gosh, that could take second year. Who named it the second year project? Like, it's so bad. <laughs> it's yeah, so bad. And it sets such a, like a already negative connotation in your mind. If you haven't finished it in your second year, you're already behind. Um, yeah. That was a huge one to push through. Um, and then I remember after pushing through that, which I didn't finish until end of my third year, then things started to pick up speed a little bit, especially with with comps and whatnot. But I will say everyone's got a unique situation. And mine was that um, I was in my fourth year when COVID hit, I was job hunting when COVID hit. And oh, then my, yes. And then July 2020, my father passed um, from COVID. So that kind of just was like, I, I can't do that. I can't just sit here anymore. I need to I need to push through, I need yeah. to have a better life for myself and for my family. So that kind of lit a fire under me to, to yeah make it happen but I'm sorry oh no 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 it's okay but it's like, like oh it's COVID's hard exactly it's hard in so like, many ways it, it really really is it's changed the world in so many ways yeah. it's changed me as a person in so many ways like and there this is really weird to say but there are some things about it that have actually been positive and that is that it helped me in a weird way transition into where I am today um, and also that I have the opportunity, like others, to work from home, which is a lifestyle that I just love um, and thrive on. So, so when you went into grad school, mm -hmm. what were what was your like 
goal? When I graduate, I will do what? Oh, when I graduate, I will not only have like transformed the field of STEM for young women. Yes. <laughs> but I will also have a tenure track position at UCSB. Mm-hmm. Whoa, like, specifically at UCSB. Specifically at UCSB. You know, like if it didn't, okay, maybe Irvine or, or something else or, you know, a Cal State. Like you go in with just not really understanding how academia works. And these misconceptions and and whatnot. And yeah, I was just like, this is it. I'm going to be like set for life in so many ways after this. And I'll have done everything I needed to accomplish in my my heart for others and whatnot. Oh, God. (laughs) I mean, based on how you said it, I have a feeling and I also know you. So like it didn't turn out that way. Mm -hmm. So how did you get from tenure track position to where you are now? The most direct way to say is that my third year, um, Danielle Harlow has an awesome seminar class um, where everyone in STEM kind of gathers once a week. And she brought in a former student. Um, and this person was, her name is Heather, and she was, she transferred into UX research and she was talking to all of us about it. And it really piqued my interest. And it was the first time I was really hearing of anything career wise outside of academia. Because I, I have to be honest, I knew in my heart really early academia wasn't for me. It just for so many reasons. And I was starting to panic, you know, like, well, what else do I do? I'm just I'm spending all this time and money and energy here. And the more she spoke about it and I connected with her afterwards, I was like, this could be something for me. This this might really it's at least worth a shot, you know, to explore um, a different type of not just career, but like lifestyle. It's being in, you know, tech is very different than anything else, um, just as academia is very different from anything else. So I started to she kept saying, like, really, the best thing you could do is try to get an internship. I applied to every internship under the sun and I wound up getting one with an ed tech company and I was their intern for the summer of 2020 and that turned into a job. Nice. I realized just as I realized very quickly academia was not for me, I realized very quickly this was a career I really enjoyed. I'm interested in like we've talked about this before with Mario and even with their previous um kind of interviewees, but I feel like a lot of us come into graduate school with this idea that we're all going to go into academia. And very quickly, like you said, within your first year, you end up either discovering, hell yeah, I'm going 110% down this route, or you start kind of having some misgivings of like, oh, this isn't what I thought it was going to be. I kind of don't know what I want to do anymore, but I'm just going to keep kind of chugging along and we'll see if I figure it out. And it seems like the most part, like once you figure it out, like you tend to have a different graduate experience once you have that transition point, like mm-hmm. for lack of a better word. Do you feel like that was true for you? Do you feel like after you kind of gained this purpose outside of academia that you started approaching your graduate school in a different way or feeling about it in a different way? A hundred percent. And I'd say that was also, I, I was working full-time while still finishing up my dissertation. And that is one of the other things that got me to finish it. I looked at everything differently. I no longer, the work of my dissertation was still very important to me, but I no longer wanted to, you know, it needed to be published in a top tier journal when I come out of here. Um, You know, there are just some aspects that I finally like forgave myself and and pulled back on grad school. And like, I I love to be so involved in many different ways. and, um, And I just was like, you know what, I don't, I don't need to do, it's okay to let go of those things. It's okay to let others take over um, and step in and, and whatnot. And I'm just going to get through this dissertation and, and 
that's it. <laughs> Can you define what UX is? Yes. Um, so UX stands for user experience. A lot of people say it's a newer field within the last 10 years. It really has to do with human-centered design and interfaces that go back like 20, 30 years ever, you know, since we had internet and, and anything remotely um, online. But as a UX researcher, and I specify researcher because there's UX designers, there's UX content strategists, there's a lot in there. Um, it's my job to speak to customers or in various ways, um, and uncover their user behaviors, their needs, their motivations, and then bring that um, information back to my team to help better design the products or services or websites that we're on. So the simplest way I like to give an example is if you ever are on your favorite app and you suddenly notice the checkout button changed from blue to purple, there was probably a UX researcher behind that who did a little research oh. to figure out what preference did do users have with the color and shape of this button here. Oh. And then, so, and that's, I will say that is the very, very like easy, simple type of research I do. Um, but that's kind of what it is, is it's, you know, let me test, I, I work with a designer very closely. Let me test a few different ways of how this, checkout button could look from the shape to the color to the size. And I'm gonna test that with our users. And when I you know, get um, saturated findings, then I'm gonna bring that to the team and say, this is the direction I recommend we go with. Interesting. Yeah, and then it, I'm sorry. Sorry, I was just saying, Mary has her thinking face on. <laughs> just, I'm putting it all together, but please keep going so I can keep putting it together. <laughs> well, it's interesting because anytime you see an update on something, at a, a, a website, an app, Hulu, you name it, there, there's a product team behind that. And part of that product team is a researcher, a designer, someone on content who work together to figure out how we, they can keep evolving that product to make it better because we can always make things better. Um, and then on the deeper side of things, I work a lot on personas, um, how to segment users um, so that we really understand who is coming to this website and what are their needs and what are their major pain points? And then how can we make this experience better for them? What's their journey like? When you go on a website, you don't, you know, journey that you explore. Um, and on that journey, what are some things you hate? What are some things you love? And then what are some things that are just completely missing um, that we haven't even thought of? So there's a lot of that journey mapping persona figuring out there um, to make every aspect of anything in tech just easier for the user. More I feel like, like I'm at say. a meeting at Facebook or something. I'm just like, <laughs> like this yeah, is for our Facebook community. That's not even who they are. They're meta now, right? But it's like, it's They're for meta, our yeah. community and all these things and just like I don't know it's interesting hearing the vocabulary that you're using and also like picturing Mark Zuckerberg on a stage in like jeans right and also yes. using that same language and just like yeah the tech tech bro language <laughs> I I have to say like that in itself was a learning experience I still sometimes someone will say something to me and I'm like okay let me google what that means in tech like oh gosh in a way, I hate it because I do feel like it's kind of gatekeeping and just, I don't know, it's 
it's frustrating. But then again, we have our own language in academia as well. So you yeah, just kind of learn, you know. True. That brings me to an interesting question. I mean, like, well, Mary said, like, it feels like it's this completely different world that you're talking about, but you trained as a scholar in yes. the education academia world. Like, I'm not only interested, like, how was that transition for you? You kind of talked about that just a little bit, but also like, what is that carryover? Do you feel like any of those skills or how are those skills carrying over between this academia space versus this um, UX space? Yeah, so the biggest things that carry over for me are just one, how thorough our program is in terms of rigorous research. You, you're the one making decisions on how to do the research, who to do the research with. And like, I have faith that I'm making those right decisions because of how rigorous our program was and, and yeah. whatnot or is rather. Um, so that in itself, um, carries over and just in general education carries over not even just our program but like when I was teaching when I talk to users today it's all about learning I'm learning what their needs are and just their thought process their mental models behind things and then I take those findings and I kind of teach them to our larger team so that we can make better decisions um, based on on that so that's because it's, I get the question all the time, like, how did you go from being a math high school teacher to this? But there are a lot of similarities. Um, I also have to do a lot of presentations. And <laughs> I feel like I am able to be a public uh, strong speaker because of all of the presentations we've had to give in, in grad school and whatnot. Um, so there's things like that. But I will say there's so much that does not carry over and that I have to learn. And it was really hard. And I wish not just our program, but in general, academia had ways to support that transition and learn about it because it's a whole other world. What are yeah. some of those things that you wish you would have learned? I mean, there is a part of me that wishes there was like a tech 101 language course in a way. Um, but yeah, you know, um, but even just the simple like resume writing instead of a CV. Yeah. When I have people reach out to me a lot, like, how do you change your CV to a resume? And I'm like, well, it's got to be a page. So, and they struggle to take away those publications, which I get. It's like pulling your skin off or something. You work so hard for those. Take them all off. Um, you know, you're should be very goal oriented how your um, work has specifically impacted things. Bring in numbers when you can focus on skills. Like there's a whole way to do it. Um, same with a cover letter. So that's the the first thing. But then also just how to interview for tech positions. The interview process is long. I think for AWS, it was five or six rounds. And there's a lot there that's not just one-on-one -on -one interviews, but group interviews. You're given problem scenarios to figure out. You have to do presentation. I mean, that's a lot. And we should be given the opportunity to figure out, you know, if one, if that's something we want to try and experience. And two, if we do, how do we do it? I feel like that speaks to like the larger void in general of just lack of professional readiness mm -hmm. or like career readiness that across the board, not even just mm -hmm. outside of yep. academia, but even within academia, like how many of us are still like, wait, how, what does tenure mean? How do you go about tenure? Yes. If that's the vibe you're interested in. What yeah. kinds of publications, how many? And I feel like when you're working with faculty who have reproduced this cycle, right, they went to grad school and are clearly now faculty. They want you to publish because that's what they know and see and view yep. as success. But like you just said, if you've got to take those all off your resume, well, why am I why am I 
you know, losing sleep over something that is never going to get shared in the professional world. Exactly. Exactly. Professional world. No, that's exactly it. Which is when like, I really realized this was the career for me. I, like I said, I let myself like, it's okay if I don't publish my dissertation, which I still have not. Um, It's okay if I don't follow through on these. I backed out of some um, papers that I had been working on. One, because of bandwidth, I just couldn't get a full-time job anymore. And two, because I was like, this isn't going to benefit me. And if it's keeping me up at night and adding extra work so that I can't spend time with my family and whatnot, then I'm sorry, but it's not worth it to me anymore. And I think that's something that I think a lot of times get lost for graduate students in the scheme of things is this idea of like you having to constantly ask yourself, is this benefiting me or is this exclusively benefiting the other person? Mm-hmm. Um, because like you said, your bandwidth becomes so limited in grad school, specifically towards yep. the end of your program that you really have to be very conscious of where your energies are going, especially if you have all these demands on your time. And most grad students do, you're either TA and you have a graduate student research assistantship, you are working on your own projects and milestones, you're working on your advisor's project and milestones, and you are also a fully breathing human being outside of this institution. And so I think I remember someone, I think it was a friend of yours, Mary, who said like, I asked myself, like, is this going to benefit me in any way? And if it's the answer is no, if it's not going to help me towards my milestones that I have to say no to it and that's okay, but that's just also hard to do when you are in an institution that doesn't exactly value that word, right? That doesn't exactly push or teach you that it's okay to say that word. You said that so perfectly and beautifully and like my heart was racing as you were like GSR and this because I was getting like flashbacks <laughs> um and what's funny is the the yeah I mean I was I never felt like I could say no but in my job now people are always telling me like no no push back like if you can't do that you can't do that say no and it kind of like it still shocks me sometimes how much more free time I have now with a full-time job than I did in grad school and I just want that for all of you, <laughs> like that relief you get. I have you to ask to. very, very selfishly, as this is a conversation I, I've been having with folks as we like near the end of for Diana and I, our, our program and just like, what do you do when you no longer have like built in breaks that are time off? Like when your employer says you have 10 days of vacation. Did that feel like something really hard to adjust to? On paper, it felt like a lot to adjust to. Like mentally, it did at first. But the thing is, is that I have so much flexibility and say in how my days go. Mm-hmm. And I don't feel like I ever have to work weekends, which is all I did in grad school. So all of a sudden, you're like, I-, I feel good. I don't need an actual day off. And then those days mount and suddenly you're like, oh, I have 25 days off like that I could use for anything I want and there's things like you know slow seasons like during the holidays everyone kind of knows like you're not going to really put too many meetings on people's calendars and things are going to be slower so you're naturally going to have that downtime Um, I tend to don't start meetings until around 10 um, most days and they're over by 233 so Diana's like that's a dream (laughs) it really is like the whole nine to five thing is it, that doesn't exist, especially now with work from home and, and everything. And people will often say, I remember in academia, like, well, a nine to five job just isn't for me. That's why I want to be in academia and have the freedom. Like, I felt like I had no freedom in academia. And it, yeah, you're right. It wasn't nine to five. It was seven to midnight in academia. And 
I, I can't, my body can't take that. <laughs> so, you know, I know it works for some people, but it didn't for me. I don't know if it works for that many people anymore. Let's be honest. I think yeah. COVID changed so much. I find it interesting that we're having this conversation because like you were dealing with COVID and everything that came to it towards like the mid towards the end of your program. Me and Mary experienced that our first year of graduate school. We didn't even finish our first year online in person. And so like Mary said, it is such a thing now. Like people really can't handle that intensity and that workload even now yep. after COVID. Like it, it impacted I still talk to Mary about, it. I'm like, I don't have the bandwidth. I don't have the attention span that I used to mm -hmm. before. I used to be able to sit down and just knock out a paper in a day. I cannot do that anymore. Just, and I think that's a big consequence of COVID and it's part of it's like, well, probably for the better, but at the same time, it's like, okay, it's for the better for me personally, but how do I function as a student who is still having the same demands put on them as right. a person that is trying to navigate boundaries and her own well-being and all of these things. And I think that's across the board. I think that extends also beyond academia to some extent as well. Yeah, I think it does. I think one of my issues always with academia has been that it's just kind of archaic and stuck yeah. in its ways. And, you know, I can say it's not like I've had a million jobs in tech. I've had two jobs in tech, rather for two different companies. And there have been permanent changes made because of COVID and because people just realize, you know, I don't have the energy for that. And that's okay. So like things like no meetings Friday is a thing. And I love it. And it's when I get my work done. And like that came out of COVID. Companies will do um, no meetings allowed after 3 p.m. every day. Some are getting rid of Fridays in general and having a three-day weekend. Uh, you know, like those are changes that have come out of COVID. And you are absolutely right that you're still required to do the same stuff in academia, but the world's not the same. You're not the yeah. same. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Not that we just, you know, said a lot of terrible things about academia, but... <laughs> Is there a world in which you would go back? I would love to one day go back to my plan is to go back to education in general one day. I would love to work in a teacher education program as someone who works with the pre-service math teachers. Chris O'Grain, who works for the TEP, has, I always said, my dream job. He's he's phenomenal. He was on my committee and he's amazing at his job. So there's no way I could ever have that job. But that that would be my dream. You know, the, the, but the issues are still there of like research demands on teaching professors and, you know, they don't have tenure or they, they don't have the same benefits and the pay is just not what it should be and, and all that. So until I feel like I can make that change back while still supporting my family and myself and whatnot. Um, I'll stay where I am. I, one of my friends is searching for a job right now. She's looking for a tenure track faculty positions and uh, she posted on Instagram. She's like wishing a very merry fuck you to anyone not offering tenure track positions. Mm. Um, and it was a screenshot of just like her LinkedIn and all the places were like assistant lecturer, you know, part-time yeah. lecturer, teaching lecturer. And she's like, I have a PhD. I'm not here to just lecture. Yeah. And it was like, it was a just a beautiful picture where I was like, can I frame this? Because this is the moment Seriously. of time that we are in. Yeah. Like universities don't want to make the investment in full-time faculty, even though students are demanding it. Yeah. And even though <laughs> it doesn't make sense. And even though the same demands are still going to be put on those faculty. With exactly. Yeah. I mean, yeah. some of the hardest working 
people I've ever met are in that are in the teacher education program and watching them have to pair together all these different courses as lecturers to just qualify for health benefits and whatnot. That's disgusting. I'm sorry. But they, they also have such passion for the job and they do an amazing job with it. And it's just like, why, why are we doing things this way? Well, teachers don't do it because they want to get paid. They do it because they have a love for the job. Yes. <laughs> like, and that it, it's so unfortunate. And I feel like when I came to grad school and education, I was like, maybe because like all these people are high ranking professors, like we will get away from that narrative. And yeah. like to hear faculty replicate it to each other of like, mm-hmm. well, you know, we're doing it for the kids or we're doing it for the community. And I'm like, yes. And also like, the classic you can't pour from an empty cup like you have to you have to make ends meet you have to have health insurance your math is not my math we're like we're in two different classrooms I don't know going with some form of like math classroom analogy that didn't work yeah metaphors are Diana's forte not mine (laughs) Um, (laughs) I appreciate the attempt Mary thank you thank you you did a good job I tried I did But it is, it's just like when I think about the narrative of like teachers do it because they have a passion and like how that carries up into the university now of, well, professors teach because they care. And I'm like most at at an R1, right? Professors are here because they want to do research. They are not here because they want to teach. Exactly. And there's a part of me that's even like, you know what? That's okay. As long as we recognize that and, and work with that, like, you know, should there just be research professors and then just teaching professors, but they're treated the same in in all ways and valued the same and and whatnot. Like, it's just like, we just draw such, turn such a blind eye to it when it's not going to get any better then. I often feel like whenever I hear people say that, I'm like, I feel like it's you saying a mantra to yourself (laughs) to keep yourself (laughs) sane and going in this process, because that's what it often is feeling. Cause it's like, a lot of the people that we talked to or that we have in-depth conversations with, it's like, you know, you know everything going on and that it's shitty and awful, but you Mm -hmm. still do it. And you hear yourself saying these things because you're like, this is how I'm going to, I'm going to like convince myself and self-justify these actions and me putting up with these things to myself a lot of the time. And it's, you know, it sucks because sometimes that comes at, in spite of, or at the cost of, your health or your well-being yeah. or your family or all these other things. And it's like, where is the institution when that happens, right? Yep. Nowhere to be found. Seeing some of the younger faculty go through the tenure process. Oh, oh my God. Like no one should have to go through something like that. I mean it's like you think you give you do you think you've done the hardest part in getting through the PhD and right. all of that and come in and then you're <laughs> like Wait, there's a whole other hunger that I have to get through after yep. this as well. But yep. we've seen it yeah. more in, in like familiar departments where there's the positions that are non-tenured and you're like, well, what's the reasoning behind that? Like, why are we doing that? And you see those individuals that land in those positions and you're like, you Can I give you a hug? Yeah, like- yeah exactly. <laughs> So not to, again, bring up a question that clearly is not going to have an answer. Just kidding. Um, There will be an answer. (laughs) You decided to go back to grad school. You were a professional for 10 years, decided to go back. You made it through. Why invest in grad school? That's such a good question. So 
There are a couple of reasons from like an actual holistic, you know, truly from the bottom of my heart is I believe that we are just always learning. And I felt like I had gotten to a place in teaching where I just had stopped learning. And I always told myself I'd go back and get my PhD if I could. I just wanted to learn more. I just wanted to upgrade myself in a way, just needed more experiences so that I could just be a better person all around. At least that's what I envisioned. But I will say there is a reason that's a that people will laugh at that's um, very near and dear to my heart. And that is um, when I was growing up, my dad would call restaurants to make reservations. And he'd always put the reservation under Dr. Spina. And I finally one day when I was little, I was like, Dad, you're not a doctor. Why? Why do you do that? And he looked... <laughs> It's like, well, I believe if I say Dr. Spina, I get a better table at the restaurants or whatever it was. And I laughed. My dad was just the funniest man um, ever. And then he looked at me very seriously and was like, but you, you're going to be the first doctor in the Spina family. And that that was it. Like from there, I was like, well, then that that's enough of a reason for me. And it was worth it. I mean, to do it for him um, in that way, 100% would do it again. I'm like, we're trying yeah. not to fall apart over here because I'm a sucker for like family that my research is on families. And it's like, oh. this is my <laughs> research is like parent-child relationships and education. It's like, okay, <laughs> this is my spot. <laughs> no, that's, that's it. I mean, honestly, I'm getting a little emotional too. Um, my dad had passed before I defended, but I remember like after the whole defense and you feel like the weight of the world is off your shoulders. I just thought like, hey, we did it, dad. We did it. And that, again, was just reason enough for me. I think that's that's so important. And I love that you said that because it's, I think so often this investment that you make into going into graduate school is viewed as something that's a very individual investment. Mm-hmm. And it's not, at least in my opinion, it's, it's an investment of everybody, right? Your family's involved, your partners yeah. are involved, your friends are involved. Everyone's there as the community helping you go through it and being there with you as you go through it. It and, takes a village. <laughs> yeah, it takes, yeah, it takes a village to raise a child. It takes a village to raise a graduate yeah. student. Like it, it, it does. <laughs> does and I just I love hearing stories and instances of life of like that the investment is not just of the individual it's of the community around them as well absolutely and go I was gonna go funny so let's stay serious (laughs) no I was just gonna say I also felt you know my husband was like just incredibly supportive during it um switched jobs so we can move up to UCSB and was my rock during all of it and I also felt like I was doing it I don't want to say for him because it was doing it for myself but like doing it for us too because I believe you know we're taught like the more education you have the better future you have whatever you know millennial mindset or that is um but I I did want to you know also make sure that um I came out of it being able to support us in the way that he supported me you want to make your funny now Mary yeah I I know um anyways feelings (laughs) uh so but I was thinking like the other one you were like it takes a a village to raise A grad student, I was thinking about the maternity photo shoots, but people with their dissertations. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, wow, that really is like, because yeah. it does. It's like, yeah. I needed everybody to get here. Here's my baby announcement. This is the reverse order, right? Like everybody put in to get the dissertation out. Whereas like once the baby's here, then everybody puts it. But like, I remember seeing those and I loved it. They're yeah. so good. It's just such oh. a long labor process. You have to commemorate <laughs> it with something. Something. <laughs> Five, six, seven, <laughs> ten years. I don't know. It depends who you are. Do you want to keep moving into a light or yeah, let's get out of this okay. dark stuff. <laughs> Academia, it's all dark. 
So as if we already haven't asked you to commit to our bait, we're going to ask you to commit a little bit more. We're going to ask you to answer a little surprise question. So me and Mary are also going to subject ourselves to the question. So you will not be alone in it. And the way that (laughs) it works is that Mary is going to randomly have a question generated. You can choose to answer that question or you could not and ask for another one. Same thing there. You could see what the question is, be like, not my vibe and choose to skip it again. But if you skip the question twice, you have to answer the third one. No chance. Of okay. So it's a bit of a strategic game here. And yeah, I like whatever it. you choose to answer, we will also answer. I just want to assure you that nothing is like that deep. No, no. <laughs> okay. It's not like when you're in college and you're playing actual hot seat. And there's like a lot of questions that are wildly inappropriate. It's very, very funny. All right. So I think this is brilliant. Your question is, have you ever cheated on a test? And can you explain the situation behind it? Yes, I have. And um, I remember in high school, I'm going to be honest, like there were multiple times throughout middle school and high school, I remember cheating. I'm not ashamed to admit that at all. There's one particular one I remember in high school where we had like every day we had to do these vocabulary drills in English class and I just couldn't keep up with it. So I had the vocabulary words like kind of in a bag next to me. Um, So I would just kind of peek over and and look at them during that. And I got away with that three times until the teacher (laughs) figured it out what I was doing. But props to her, she did not actually punish me she was just like don't do it again so that was enough to scare me Diana have you ever cheated I don't know if you have I was I'm trying to think okay so the first thing okay I kind of have there's the first I like the kind of uh, well not, I'll, yes I I'll, have I kind of have well I'll let you hear the situation but the first one that came to mind was like when I was little you know like I don't know if your teachers ever had to do this is like elementary school where like once you get your grade back on a test they put a stamp on it where your parents have to like sign it oh yes yeah that was the first thing that came out. It's not cheating on a test, but it was like test adjacent. And I remember one time I just forgot to get it signed. And so like, I got really good at that age of faking my mom's signature. <laughs> and so I like just did it. But I was in high school and we had a U.S. government teacher who wasn't all that great. <laughs> I'm not going to say her name, but we figured out that he reused tests from previous years. Mm. So he had like a five-year rotation period that he would like not draft a new test for five years. And so we had a lot of students in my class who had older siblings or cousins who had just graduated. And so they, everyone was like passing around the test and was saying like, hey, here's a picture of the test that we're going to have tomorrow. Like use it if you want to, or if you don't, you're fine. And I had such like a moral reckoning that night. I remember I couldn't go to sleep because I was like, I really should study for this test. Like I should not cheat, like, but they're right here. And if I just take, memorize the bubbles instead, then I can spend my time on figuring this other thing out. And I I did memorize the test. And then I just, I remember like I filled out the test and then I still felt really guilty. So I changed two answers to be wrong <laughs> so that I wouldn't get a complete hundred percent on it. But yeah, that was, when, it was, I, and I, it wasn't the only time I did. I did it for the whole semester for that geography, but same thing. I would always change like one or two answers just to like, well, you didn't want them that. to catch on. Sure. That's yeah, smart. Yeah. Right? Smart. I was like, if yeah. I get a hundred all the time, then it's going to look a little fishy, but yeah, that is also why I am not as well versed in our U.S. government as I should be because I did not study. <laughs> That's so funny. Yeah. What about you, Mary? Um, yeah, like all of them, 
basically. <laughs> uh, but the most like iconic, I would say, was my best friend and I in high school were in AP Lit, AP Literature with... Mm-hmm. He would leave the class while we were taking the test. And like at this point, I'm taking too many classes. She's taking too many classes. Neither of us were reading the books. And so he would leave the room and we would push our desks flush against each other and take the test together and literally be like, okay, based on the chapters that you skimmed and based on the chapters that I skimmed, right? Like, okay, one is A. And then we would have like the same answer, same answer. And there's always an essay question. And he would come in kind of like halfway through the class. So we would push through all the multiple choice, outline our essay. And then before he would come back in, we would re-separate and then write oh our God, essays. Awesome. <laughs> Hey, at least yeah. you guys were like looking up the answers. You guys were actually legitimate. Oh no, we definitely. Why well, oh. I, I didn't have a smartphone, and my friend oh, my had God. very limited data at the time, so we were like <laughs> working with the situation we had. Yeah. My other really good friend sat like two seats in front of me, and I would be like, "Hey, hey, you have number four? <laughs> She's like, "I'm not going to tell you," and I was like, "But you could pity me." <laughs> so, yeah, I definitely cheated on oh, tests. Love it. I feel like academics are like those in academia are always like the dirtiest in the bunch. Like you've done stuff that you're like, yeah, yeah. we've done it all at this point. We've done it all. Like, eh, doesn't surprise us. Okay. As we are wrapping up our episode for today, is there anything that you would like to plug about yourself or your work or things you're interested in that you want people to know about? No, I don't need, I don't want to plug anything for myself. I, I guess I just, as hard as grad school is, I it did get me to where I am today in many ways. So I am very appreciative of it, but mostly just, you know, what is it? Keep swimming. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I know it's, it's a lot. Um, but just know you're not alone. I, I promise you will get through it. Like you said, it takes a village, but um, you know, there's, there's a bond between grad students that I feel like is just always there. We know what we've been through, you've been through, what you will go through and whatnot. So know that um, we're all here for each other. Um, and there's nothing but love and support. Thank you. That was so nice. Um, yeah. <laughs> very, very nice way to end the podcast. Oh, wow. um, so on that note, thank you so much for sharing your time with us and for speaking to us and sharing all your knowledge with us. Um, <laughs> we really appreciate it. And of we course. Well, thank you to you both for doing this. I think this is just so cool and exciting and I mean, adds so much support and value. So really thank you both. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of our podcast. A special thank you to our guests for sharing their expertise and their time. This podcast is brought to you by Bianca and Mary, founders and creators of the Brown Girl and the White Girl the Podcast. To learn more about future guests and episodes, tune into our social medias. You can follow us at BG and WG on Instagram and as a Brown Girl and a White Girl podcast on Facebook. If you have anyone you'd love to be featured on the podcast or topics that you want to be discussed, let us know at the link in our bio and episode description. Don't forget to subscribe. See you next time.